On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Neely, and Neely was in a toxic relationship with a cheating narcissist. It's a story of narcissistic in-laws, smear campaigns, reactive abuse, and begging for love. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of domestic violence. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning in to this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. Now, if you have not been to our website recently and want to be a guest on our show, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, you press the button that says Guest Form. There, there'll be a lot of instructions and a guest form. Fill it out, and we will go from there. Also at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have a community support button at the top of that page. But what is that for? Well, let me tell you what it's for. It's our own safe social network. We have a community of people on there who are in our forums. They're posting. We have integrated Zoom support meetings on Wednesdays and Saturdays. We have ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, and our community members are all amazing, and they're here to support you and cheer you on when you need it. So please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, press that community support button today. Now, another way to get support is to go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing and can connect you with local resources like shelters and find ways to heal and move forward. So please do visit DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource. And everyone... I think we're just going to get to our show. So let me just say that this is an interesting episode because I don't know if we've heard a lot about an in-law family like this before. I know we've talked about like families or or in-laws or future in-laws where the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in this case, this one's an interesting one. It's a real spider web of a family and how they influenced a lot of decisions early on. So it's a, it's, it's a little bit different than what you might have heard from a family before, just a little twist on it. And as well, um, when it comes to this recording, we had to record on like three different types of recorders. Um, the sound in, in some spots isn't, uh, you'll hear, it, 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 for the most part it's good, but there are issues here and there. Hopefully that won't disturb you. And now, without further ado, here is my episode with Neely. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Neely. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Brandon? I'm doing pretty good. And well, actually, I'm doing really well. So thank you for asking. 
And today you are going to tell us your story and you were in an abusive relationship and unfortunately you were, but you are here today and you're going to help a lot of people by telling your story. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And now Neely, the floor is now yours. Well, thank you so much for having me today, Uh, Brandon. I appreciate it. Um, The reason why I'm here is to share my story because especially when dealing with narcissists, uh, your world kind of flipped upside down <laughs> with uh, being gaslit, being uh, morphed in a morphed reality state. And myself personally, I was in a marriage for 12 years uh, with a narcissist and now have to co-parent two children with a narcissist. Uh, that The hardest part for me was to actually accept and understand that the type of treatment that I received is not Uh, healthy or normal, uh, as well as the fact that I I think it takes a lot of education and therapy to come to conclusions about the way these types of people act. So I think this this is one of the reasons why I'm here is that awareness being brought to kind of the general public that may question when they see, you know, something that doesn't make sense to them in a relationship, the red flags, or maybe even just being subtle. Maybe I can shed some light <laughs> with my own experience uh, in that respect. So when you grew up, did you grow up in a, I guess, quote unquote, normal home? Did you grow up in a dysfunctional home? And uh, with either of those, uh, were any issues created that were innocent uh, issues created or uh, belief systems that you had uh, going through childhood that maybe contributed uh, to you being susceptible to the specific abuser that you had? Uh, I believe so, yes. Um, I grew up with a family of five kids. Uh, My parents uh, constantly fought. That was something I definitely remember, uh, that most nights uh, we'd hear screaming, and uh, my mom would end up packing us up with backpacks and being like, we're going to go on an adventure, you guys, and we would have no idea where we were going, and we would be gone for a couple of weeks in the motel at a time, and then we'd be told that my parents were divorcing, but we're getting back together, and that was pretty common. Um, I was the oldest of five kids, so kind of that uh, caretaker role with my mom's emotions, with her going back and forth between her and my dad of who we loved more and wanted to be with. And then her having the responsibilities of five children, I took it upon myself to kind of kind of care for the situation and, and, and keep the peace between everyone. Like if my mom was distraught, then it would be like kind of my, my assigned role to like make sure that the rest of the kids were getting, you know, ready for bed and that sort of thing that I became kind of an emotional, um, carrier of a lot of people in my family trying to stabilize my brothers and my sister as well as my mom and uh even to this day especially as I grew older there were some things that that stuck out to me that my my mom would end up saying well honey that never happened you know and that would make me question my reality when I would have like friends saying no I remember when you know I stayed at your house and that happened so it kind of grew up with, like, keeping the peace for everyone with a lot of conflict in the home, as well as uh, dealing with being gaslit and a burden to my family. So 
so that in itself, I know, is a problem that, you know, being in my early 30s now, I, I can look now and see that that was not a very normal way to grow up, especially when we would kind of get up and have to pack up and leave because that's when they were going to get a divorce. My parents were going to get a divorce again, and I would never know when I was going to be back home or, you know, if the whole divorce would come to light eventually. Um, but, yeah, I, I can see that there were a lot of, uh, you know, ways that you were, you're taking care of everyone, you're empathetic, you're the listener, and then later to be told, you know, that some of that stuff never happened when you and your siblings, you know, very much remember some of the things that had happened that you kind of carried into adulthood. And did you feel that because of the way you grew up that you were competent in a lot of ways and had faith in those abilities? I have a competence, like a very strong confidence in myself as a whole, as a person that of being someone that has other people's backs, um, especially in my close circle, but uh, definitely feeling alone, very much um, isolated that a lot of the stress and uh, if, if there was good to be happening or peace to happen in the home, then that would be put on to me that, you, yes, I felt very much alone. If, if that, you know how you can feel slightly confident, but, uh, but isolated. And if you could like put one word on what your identity would have been back then, or maybe a few words. Reliable, empathetic, uh, compassionate, uh, always worrying about everyone's like very, very much aware of everyone's energy. Um, that's, you know, I could tell, and even today I can tell when someone's off, like by just kind of sensing their vibes and their expressions, because I could see it, especially as a child, if my mom was going to, lose it, you know, and, and, and be having an emotional outburst or, um, or my siblings were off. I can, you can just tell, it's kind of a difficult thing to explain, but you can tell when someone's feeling off or something's about to happen, that that energy is definitely very strong. And did you have any belief systems about the world or relationships, uh, things like that before, uh, you started dating? Uh, yes, I grew up in a very, very conservative Christian home, like everything down to uh, Sunday church and Sunday school to Wednesday night youth groups. Like we were very, very heavy into uh, the Christian belief system, as well as the churches uh, that was very prominent in my life, um, as well as the roots as well. And I honestly credit that for having me stay in my marriage as long as I had. Um, when you have that intuition that you're being abused, that this is toxic, it's not healthy when those, those light bulbs are going off, but your belief system as a Christian is submit wives, submit to your husband. Um, my parents, when I would, I wouldn't share too much of my married life with them, but that definitely was a factor that I would mention, you know, he's, he's done this to me financially, or he's lied to me about this. And there's this other woman that they would say, my, my mom especially has told me, like, it's better to know the devil that you do than the devil that you don't. And God knows that you need to stay next to your husband and submit to him no matter what he does. And that kind of, again, even was a red flag that, you know, when it even comes to your religious beliefs, what makes sense and what's 
what's healthy and what is toxic, you know? So, you know, you grew up in this environment and did you date a lot in high school or were you someone that didn't really date until later? Um, I actually was excited about traveling and writing and uh, I love to cook. So I actually was accepted into the Le Cordon Bleu Cooking Institute in France when I was 17. Um, and then I also had a chance to work in the hospitals, the children's hospitals in the capital in the Dominican Republic. And that was exciting to me. I wasn't quite ready to, like to me, even dating in high school was like, well, you're planning for long term. And I was more excited about getting the adventure side out of my life, uh, kind of fulfilling those needs and desires before ever dating. So I, I waited in that, in that time. So was your, uh, the, the abuser in your life, was this the first person you dated? Uh, yeah, actually, if you call it official, like, you know, official boyfriend to fiance to husband. Yes, that was my first. Okay. So for you, I mean, for the most part, you don't have a, a big history here of, of dating anyone. So you're coming into this relationship with, uh, no frame of reference per se, and a lot of beliefs and a lot of kind of things going on where you grew up in a chaos. So, 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 uh, I guess tell us, um, you know, what happened when, uh, you met this person for the first time? Well, um, I was working like three jobs at the time and I had a roommate. We were all of the girls were living in a house together and my friends said, you know, you need to be, you know, getting out and dating and, you know, see, see what kind of guys are out there. So I kind of like switched my mindset a little bit like, oh, what could it hurt? You know, what could it you know, do? And and I was uh, dressed up all nice one day, running some errands, and I went to this coffee shop. And um, this guy was ordering not just coffee, but like putting all this sugar and cream. And I kind of giggled at him about, you know, do you want some coffee with your cream kind of comment, just being, you know, joking and stuff. But I figured I'd get out there, you know, just be confident and so he actually took the joke pretty funny and said, well, are you sitting with anyone? And I said, no. And, and, uh, cause I was, in, I was in college at the time, just working on papers. And so he sat with me and we talked for, I want to say like four or five hours. And he, I guess, lived like about two hours away from me, he said, and he had just gotten a job over on my side of the state and, um, uh, was like, just looking to meet people and, and that, that sort of thing. And so he asked me if I wanted to go on another date with him and like an actual date and take me out. And he seemed really nice. Um, and one of the reasons why I didn't date very often was because I was very picky. I'm a very like confident overall person, very ambitious, a go-getter. And when at my age, I was only 19 at the time. And a lot of men were like happy living in their mom's basements, playing video games all the time. And I love playing video games too, but it kind of like a, a huge lack in ambition. And so here comes in this guy who's in a suit and he's, he's just starting a new job. And, and he seems, you know, like a very appealing to like someone who can grow with me, you know? So with the core beliefs that I had of like looking for a strong and honest person, someone who's hardworking that can match my energy. Cause I'm very, a bubbly person, you know, he just kind of started to meet like this 
quota. And for me not to have not been in a relationship before, uh, I never had anything to compare it to, but it was like those qualities were what were appealing to me. And he would drive about two hours there, two hours back to see me. And we would either, you know, drive to some place and enjoy dinner or we go walk around downtown. And, you know, it was a very physical relationship as well. It, it um, intensified very quickly which is something else I didn't really do back then as well either. But it was just the best way to describe it was it was extremely intense, very, very fast. And he ended up, um, we met, let's see, timeline wise, we met in early December and we actually got married February 1st. So two months of from meeting to marriage and, I was only 19, so I kind of saw this as, with my immature mind at the time, you know, that, oh my gosh, I've, I've never, like, felt, like, he, he's telling me, like, he's never felt so much of a way with, with someone before, and he's, you know, never cared so much about someone before or connected so much, which amplified my feelings, because when you have someone who's, like, crazy about you, you're thinking, well, if, if you're crazy about me, then we, we really could hold on to that, you know, as we're going through the obstacles of life and have a family and grow old together, you know, so if someone's really into you, that was, it's a red flag now, but then it was that, wow, we must really have some really strong connection, you know? So So I have a bunch of questions. Are you ready? So when... So first of all, how old is he uh, at this time? Um, He was 22 at the time. Okay, so he's 22. So as far as what you're looking for here, he is someone who looks like they're going to grow with you. He's responsible. He is attentive to you and your needs, and he is showing you... Uh, affection and saying all of the right things. Is there anything else that he's doing that is attractive to you that is giving you, you know, a big hook, line, and sinker? Or is it maybe at this age, being 19, that's all you needed? Like these were the things that you needed to just be like, okay, I'm in. Uh, he talked about a family. He wanted to have a family, um, that he wanted to eventually own land and live out in the country. He was really big into gift giving. That was another one. Like I'm, I'm someone as a whole, like as a person in myself, um, when someone even gives me something small, like buys me, you know, a lunch and says, I'll, I'll cover that for you. Or, Hey, I got you this card. It doesn't have to be anything big for me. But when someone gives something to me, it's like, Oh my gosh, you thought of me. That is so sweet. And so uh, that was another thing too. He just seemed, you know, like you said, like very attentive and said all the right things of affection and, and compassion for, you know, and, and, and I want to say, I won't say like an obsession. That was a little bit, like worry, like a little concerning to me at the time, even being 19. But then part of me was like, well, it's just because he's so into you. And that's a good thing because you guys can carry that, you know, into the rest of life, you know. And when it comes to, I guess, your value system, 
you had the things you were looking for in your partner, but as far as your values go and, you know, people make different value systems after their relationships are over once they, they leave an abusive situation, things such as actions, not matching words, you know, drug use, or what are, what's on your list at that time? And are any of those things being seen and you're just you know, not paying attention? Not That's a bad word. And you are just um, overwhelmed by the other stuff that it just kind of gets uh, slid away. It's like I, it gets slid uh, under the rug. Yeah, I would say like, at 19, I looked for the very, the very basics. I didn't develop a radar quite yet at the time. And when you ask, if you would ask 19 year old, maybe like, well, I would be hoping that he would, you know, I don't mind someone who drinks alcohol, but I want, you know, I don't want them to be an alcoholic. I have, um, I actually have a few family members that were like drunk alcoholics, just blackout drunk. And I've seen dark sides of that. So I'd be like, you know, at 19, be like, oh, is he just having a couple beers or is he, you know, so I feel like I haven't had a very immature, um, inexperienced type of view of him. You know, like I didn't want to be with somebody I couldn't trust, somebody who would lie. And uh, one of the red flags that came up to me one time is uh, we were at, we, I met his family very early on, about two weeks after I met him, I met his family. And there was an event where they had a birthday party at a hotel. So we were all hanging out by the pool and I was talking to his family a little bit. And they said, well, how does he like his, his new job at, at this, in this city? And there were two separate words, you know, there's like a North Haven, a South Haven, you know, where it's like two conjunction words um, together. And they mentioned, how does he like his job in this city? And I said, oh, he's not in that city. He has a job in this city. And the difference was that he told his family he was working in a city that was a half hour away versus a city that was two hours away. And his family is very like, we don't want our baby to be gone from our, our life. You know, we need him to be involved. So he lied to them and told them that they were, his job was only a half hour away. So they wouldn't be upset. And so when I, I looked like an idiot then because I knew exactly where he was working. And that threw me off guard a little bit. But be, me being 19, I was like, that's, that's not cool to lie to your parents. But I get that you don't want your parents in your business. You know, like maybe you just don't want to talk to them about that. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't into practicing that with my family. I, I just, I'm, that it just crosses borders for me that I'm comfortable with. But with him, I'm like, well, you're, you're we're, I'm 19, you're 22. You just don't want your parents like putting in their input and you're just trying to avoid that. And that was the first red flag that I should have, rather than excuse it, I should have looked at that. So, you know, you, you get married and after all of this, like a whirlwind, I would say, and you're now married. What happens after that? Uh, We leased an apartment together and it was, the worst winter we had had in like 10 years or something like that. And he realized that even where our apartment was at and the job pay that he had, um, that it wasn't going to work out really well. He, he was struggling a lot. And so he was like, I, I don't think we can pay our bills 
as well as we we should. And at the time, I was working for his company, which was a, a software development company. I, I was um, web designing for him. And so he said, my parents um, said, if we move a um, couple hours towards them, each towards them, uh, we can stay in their basement for, you know, however long it takes until we get on our feet. And then um, I do have a job opportunity that's a higher pay than what I'm already doing right now. And I think that's the best move for us. So we lived in an apartment for about, I want to say, six months. Yeah, six months. And then we moved in with his folks. Um, the it, it went pretty well for the first six months or so at their house in the basement. Like I, I took turns helping making dinner. My nephew at the time was only nine months old and my sister-in-law was trying to go back to school and work. And I said, well, I can watch him for you, you know, and, and, and like basically be a part of the family because growing up in a family of seven, I was, that's where I, I can look and see, like I, I was very compassionate and love being a part of a community and a group of people. So and, and I wanted to have his family accept me and accept, you know, and accept them, like be, be in their world and their life. And I ended up got, getting a job um, as a veterinary technician just to get my full time uh, work in as well. And two weeks into my employment um, and noted I was taking birth control at the time, too, I found out that I was pregnant. And that was about six months into our marriage. So very quickly. I had a positive pregnancy, like unexpected pregnancy test. Um, so before, so before we get, sorry, before we get into what happens next, I just have a question about you in that home. Is there anything out of the ordinary with his family? And, uh, what's the dynamic with you and everyone in there? And do you get a better sense of the dynamic between him and his family while you're there as well? Yes. Um, they didn't know that we were married. Uh, that and, and the thing with that was we got, he proposed to me very quickly, like two months after I met him and we eloped like on a Super Bowl Sunday, you know, secret, uh, wedding by the lake type of thing. And we both agreed that my family and his family will, will like, we'll, we'll do a big wedding later. Um, again, but coming from the beliefs of Christianity that, we were going to live together in an apartment that we were going to get married anyway. So we wanted to get married in the eyes of God and all that before living together. And, um, I ended up, uh, telling my family that we were already married, but we were going to plan a wedding. And during the time that I had moved into, um, my ex's family's home, they, still thought the wedding, you know, was going on that we were just engaged. And so I did see some odd things like his two sisters and his mom totally ruled the roof. They, they got to decide everything. They were very uh, critical, very judgmental people. Um, They wanted to pick out what my wedding dress was going to look like. And they wanted full control over the wedding. And I just had, and I was expected just to go along with it. Um, his dad had an accident of some kind back when he was 18, where his dad was hospitalized and had some kind of virus that he, when he recuperated and was in the better, that he was just never the same mentally and emotionally, like he's very short fused, um, not very compassionate, just snap at everybody. And so 
after that incident, his family said, well, now it's up to you to carry to carry us. And they believe that their son, he's uh, the third born out of four children. Um, they told him and they told me when I had lived there, he's going to save us all. He's going to he's going to be the one who's the entrepreneur of the family. And he's going to buy us yachts and cottages and all that. He's going to be the one to carry us. So that was like a an off a couple comments and stuff here and there. I'd see how much they put him on a pedestal and how they idolized him so much. Like he could do no wrong. Um, I did find out that he had a business when he was 18 and his family actually bailed him out of a bad situation because he had spent too much money than he had earned. And so his credit tanked and his family bailed him out financially. Um, and on top of that, my ex had a really, really nice car at the time when he bought at 21, but he couldn't have bought it without his mom. So his mom ended up making the payments for him and then had him like write a check to her each month with whatever he could pay. So he had this like really nice vehicle. So I could just see like all these things. And I, I couldn't make out in my mind and process either. This was a very supportive family. Like, Hey, we fall, we fail, but family's got your back, you know? Oh no. So it, it- so I, I was thinking to myself, here is this guy who is put on a pedestal by his family. He's the third child, and he has all of these expectations that are put upon him. And at the same time, is it possible that he's also been coddled uh, because of yeah. the position that he held? Therefore, he is not great at doing things on his own, always gets bailed out of situations, becomes a risk taker, and uh, probably impulsive in a lot of situations. And with all of the, then because of the expectations that are laid upon him, he then has to keep everything a secret because he's always screwing up. And that just starts like a cycle in his own life of destruction and whatever he's going to touch is going to go along that cycle. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause there's more to the stories and it lines with exactly what you said. <laughs> That's why I get to pay the big bucks here. Um, <laughs> so, you know all you, you kind of learned this about the family, and then you uh, get pregnant six months in. What happens then? Well, it was unexpected, and he was not too happy about it at all. Um, I ended up telling my mom, and she was upset initially, and I told my mother and mother-in-law at the time and the family they all you know, knew I was pregnant and the mother-in-law actually like um, she, she went from like, Oh, thank you for helping me. You know, ask me about my day to cornering me after work almost every day saying, listen, you still don't have to get married just because you're pregnant and you actually don't even have to have this baby. Let's, let's, let's take you to, you know, a clinic and let's, let's, 
let's figure out another option rather than you having the baby because you're only 19. You're too young to be having kids. You've got your whole life ahead of you. So um, because I was two and a half hours away from my family, I didn't have any friends over on that side. Um, I didn't have, like, my mom to show me the way. And my mom was really upset with me for basically, she said, like, you know, messing up my life, you know, becoming a mom at 19. And so I, I felt very isolated and alone. And to be pressured to terminate my pregnancy when I love children, um, that really bothered me because when you're already um, alone and, and young and not sure what to do because you're pregnant anyways and you don't know how you're going to pay for the baby and, and all that, and you just started a new job, like you look bad to your boss, like I, I felt very much alone. So the whole house shifted after finding out about the baby. Uh, my mother-in-law very became cold and distant. Uh, my sister-in-law, I had an older sister-in-law, but she lived literally a quarter mile away. She was very close to um, my in-law's house. And then my younger sister-in-law at the time was about 10 years old, and she'd run upstairs screaming, I hate her, I hate her, because she's ruined our family. So it was like, because of this baby and because of my, because I, I didn't want, I knew I was in a tight situation, not the most, optimal situation to be in to be pregnant but that children were very important to me and and not just for my christian beliefs about i'm an unborn child but from my heart i always wanted to be a mother as well and i'm like well i guess this is i i tried to do everything right and i still got pregnant so this obviously was meant to be so at that point i i i don't know if it was probably because they, I was more of a solidified person in my husband's life, um, and they didn't like that. But that that was a, a turning point for me. That that judgment and that criticism that I heard them say and do to other people started to be projected onto me from um, what I was wearing. You know, like how can how can she wear that to um, that? Because I didn't cook dinner that night after working a 12-hour shift, obviously, I don't love them. Uh, just a lot of projection at that point. And then my father wanted to celebrate because they, they knew that I was married. And I told my husband at the time, I'm like, please tell your family that like, you're responsible for telling your family and I'll tell mine. So my parents knew very early on because they didn't want to keep that from them. I'm like, hey, I am pregnant. I am married. Um and my my ex was like holding off to tell his family because they were so into planning this big old wedding and being like the stars of, of my wedding that um, to tell them that we actually were just married was something he said, um, if, if I tell them, it's going to take everything away from them. So he kept it secret until my mother-in-law, um, my, my father told me he wanted to doing a reception at least for us and he wanted to know how many people on my side were coming and I asked my mother-in-law you know oh if my dad wants to throw us a little something would you guys come and she thought that was suspicious because I'm a terrible liar I'm never going to lie and I'm not going to try but she was like why is she asking me this this is a really odd question to be asking she cornered me one day after work and said you're married aren't you and your dad's putting together a reception for you, isn't he? And he wants to know that we're coming. Like that's, that's the whole ordeal that's behind us. And I said, yes, yes, actually we are married. Um, we were married on this date. 
and that's that. And so she blamed me for forcing her son to marry him and to keep that secret from him. So even when I said he, he was supposed to tell you, not me, and he had been holding on to it for like three months, you know, trying to, to keep this secret that we were married. So when it got out to me and I, I was put in a corner and, and told, you know, I, I, I just, I, I bursted the entire truth. And so they held me accountable for his actions, which I, I already put as a person, I always put so much blame on myself naturally to be like, well, I could have fixed that or I could have protected us from having those issues and I just didn't do enough. And to be coerced and be told that I forced him to marry me and all that stuff, it just made me feel like, I don't, I don't know, like just, like it's a two-person decision. Like I promised I didn't make your son do anything and I just, I just carried like all this guilt on myself after that situation so, as well. So right here, you are dealing with a toxic family and you are... Are you feeling like this is a, you know, uh, uh, you marry this person, you marry the family, this is a bad idea? Uh, are you making excuses? Are you asking your uh, ex-partner, hey, why aren't you doing anything here? What's going on? Is is, is his justifications kind of good enough at the time? And, you know, just imagine really what they're saying about you when you are not there because in a weird way – you know, you're taking away their golden goose or you're distracting their golden goose or what they think is a golden goose from doing his job, which is to take care of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So, yep. when, and, sorry, so yeah. when, um, are you able to recognize that then and talk to other people about it? Or are you just like, this is what I'm dealing with? I, I held two points. Uh, one side, I carried the blame myself that I just wasn't, I wasn't doing good enough to appease them. That you know, I apologized all the time. I found myself saying I'm sorry all the time. Um, and then on the other side of it, when my husband got home, I would say, "Hey, your your mom said this to me. Can you talk to her? Like, can you straighten her out to know like." I, I don't feel that way about your family or that I didn't try to get pregnant or force you to be with me. Like, can you, can you talk to her and just settle her down? Because she's cornering me like almost every day trying to get more information or try to take some verbal punches at me, you know? And I, and I, and so I was looking for an ally because he, and I told him at one point, I said, you've known your family your whole life. And I just met them in the last six months. Like I'm trying to understand how your family, you know, if someone's sensitive to something more than others, but I'm trying to understand them, like where they're coming from so we can kind of find some kind of agreement or a peace tree type of thing, you know? Like if you think that my intentions are to do this, please understand that it's not. Like I found myself over-explaining myself to them. Also trying to reach out to him to be an ally. And um, there was one point where um, I, I was about seven or eight months pregnant and I didn't want to have the baby in my in-laws house. So I talked to my husband and I said, what do you think since we've saved all this money and we've sold a bunch of stuff, the baby's going to be here in a month or two. Like, I think we should probably start looking into like renting a house or something like that or an apartment, something so we can have our own space to have the baby. 
and I couldn't lift very much, you know, being so pregnant, but I was trying to like, even ask my brother-in-law, you know, can you help us move when we move? Well, my in-laws, my, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, like they got home from work one day and saw me and my husband talking about moving and they were really upset about that. And that was my mother-in-law's new thing. So when I came home from work one day, she cornered me again in the basement, in the corner, and had my father-in-law come down. And my father-in-law actually raised the hand to my face, like, how dare you think that you can move out of here, that you think you're ready to move out of here, that you think you can take our son away. And when he has when he has obligations and responsibilities here, like, there should be no reason why you can't have the baby here. And when my father-in-law raised the hand to my face, that's when the door opened and my husband came downstairs and saw the whole thing, like where I was put in the corner and crying. He saw that I had red face tears and his dad raising the hand to my face. And he just turned around and walked right back upstairs and didn't say a thing the rest of the night. So you're, so that was you're, like, you are really living in a toxic, dangerous environment here. And yeah, uh, you know that is. You're, I mean, the, you're right off the bat here. You're not in a good spot, and these are just the things with his family. Let alone the things that are going to happen with him. So, I guess what's the first incident that occurs when uh, within your relationship here that um, you know? kind of makes you stand up and say, hey, like, what's going on here? The ignoring my cries for an ally for help when I was dealing with the the boundaries being extended with his family, um, that there was no there was no person to stand up for me when his family would say things that were out of line. Again, one of the incidents is that his dad had raised the hand to my face and he did nothing. And it wasn't, he didn't like really bring me down early on, like, like tear me down, criticize me, but it was kind of like anything that I told him that, that hurt that we needed to address would go in one ear and out the other. Uh, the, the bigger issue was with him. This is his, his understanding. When I asked him about why he did, um, in the aspect of cheating, uh, two months after I found out that I was pregnant, he ended up reaching out to a girl online and it became a regular thing for him uh, two months after I found out I was pregnant to reach out to any and every woman who would talk to him. And I didn't find this out until February. So he started the affairs in September. And the first girl reached out to me. I was on my lunch break and she said, uh, from one girl to another, I am Sorry, your husband is on the prowl. Uh, he has been talking to me for the past two weeks and has told me terrible things about you and that he's actually going to leave you for me. And I saw your profile picture on Facebook and I saw that you were pregnant and I'm so sorry. He, he never told me, you know, so she sent this whole long email and saying that she's going to send all the transcripts of what they had discussed. And so... I read these all, and at first I didn't want to believe it, and I ended up seeing him and saying, are you on your lunch break? Can you come talk to me? So he drove from work to meet me, and I asked, uh, who's Heather? We'll just say her name's Heather. 
And he's like, oh, I don't know a Heather. And I said, oh, really? And I showed him all these transcripts. Of, um, basically, most of it was him tearing me down and bringing her up. So it was everything from how intelligent she was. It's so nice to, you know, my wife is so stupid. You know, it's so nice to talk to an intelligent woman, To I love a girl that looks cute in a sweatshirt and a dress, you know, can pull off the two moves, whereas my wife just looks like, you know, just like trash, you know, all the time. And so it was about bringing her up and bringing me down, and that was most of their conversation. And then it was about future, what we call future faking now, about how someday they're going to be together and you know, he's just got to get some things going in a row to, to meet with her. And I couldn't, I couldn't accept it. I was in, in denial, but that was like the first blast. So he went from being extremely affectionate and attentive and just all up into me of, of like, wow, us together, we're soulmates, we're this and that, and to that he didn't want to talk about the things family was doing and i would say like this is not an acceptable way to be treated by anyone period let alone like having your family treat me this way and he would just walk off or roll his eyes you know just almost as if like i was a mom talking to my teenage son and and so i just felt like even no matter if i came to him and said please talk to me about this it really bothers me and try to look at different ways to communicate to him I was just not relevant to him. So he was uh, soliciting uh, some escorts, and those came up into um, other women that had reached out to me and and said that he was communicating with them, and it was all flirtatious conversation. Many of it was, much of it was sexual with um, about three women. And I confronted him on it, and he cried, and he said he didn't know why he did what he did. He's so sorry. He's just been so stressed with my conflict with his family and the new baby. He didn't want to be a father. Just so, so much that he just needed to distract himself, and that was the wrong way to do it, and he was sorry. And he did uh, the whole uh, roses when I got home and the sorry letter, you know, asking for forgiveness. And so, again, coming from my Christian background, it's like, you know, if you guys run into problems in a marriage, you fix them. You know, you figure it out. And I go, well, this was just one time that he did. I mean, it was multiple girls, but it was like, okay, this was back in September. All these emails and messages were dated back in September, which was shortly after I found out I was pregnant. So maybe he's doing better now and he's not doing it anymore. So well, what, what, so, so, so when he started crying... Did you start caretaking his emotions and did that kind of uh, – was the focus then kind of put on him at that point and what he has to deal with? And all of a sudden uh, your situation uh, or the cheating was not an, as important in the time. So he kind of diffused it and kind of put you on a trail somewhere else? Yes, yes. My Initially when I, was, when I saw him crying, I, I realized, oh – like he made a mistake and he realizes that and he's he's upset with with what he did he didn't mean to he just had poor judgment at the time like i made all of these excuses in my head for him and i'm like i'm scared too like i've never been a mom before let's figure this out and i and i started to excuse that behavior in that moment because of those tears and and having to be well this was the first time you know 
So, all, so all of the justifications that he was giving gave you justifications for everything, plus your belief system, boom, we're all good, even though that's the first, the first big problem. Yeah. So yep. what happens after that? Uh, so I gave birth to my son in April, and I, I loved my son, like just immediately found love with him. And he ended up, I ended up taking my six week uh, maternity leave and spending so much time just getting to know my child and, and doing the whole new mom thing. And um, we're moving forward into just a month later into May. And I was up north with his family and, and he was there too, just for like, that's what they did was uh, go up a lot of weekends during the spring and fall time to the cottage. And I didn't have a laptop at the time. And I said, Hey, since I'm the baby's asleep, is it all right if I check my email and just check up on stuff since we were kind of out in the boonies? And he said, yeah, no problem. So when I logged onto his laptop, I noticed that there were tabs up with active dating websites and it said active 24 hours ago, active 12 hours ago. And so I mean, multiple, I want to say like maybe three or four dating websites were like logged up to almost as if he forgot to, you know, take it down. And I was like, hmm, like, oh, is maybe he's maybe he's letting his uh, sister, you know, use it. And then my 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 sister-in-law's friend was up with us. Maybe she's got dating. Like, I don't even know how to explain this to you, Brandon, of like. How many excuses I put in my head? Oh, maybe somebody else was using these dating websites because he was the only one with a laptop, you know. And I looked, but it was his profile. And so then my next excuse came in my head of, well, he was single only eight months ago, technically, you know, back when we met in December, he was single. So Maybe he was just, you know, going on to all of his dating websites to close him out since he's been married for over, you know, so much of a time period. And maybe he's just doing some house cleaning with that, you know, and I would just put all these things and I didn't want to look any more into it because one, I'm, I'm not into snooping through people's things anyways, even my own husband's. And two, I think I didn't want to look for something I didn't want to find. So I just let it go. And I'm like, why don't you just go to your email? Because that's what you were here for in the first place was to just check your email and see if work emailed you or something. Well, of course it was logged into his email because we have the same platform. And I saw multiple messages from a Christie and a Candace and like all these girls. And it was like, um, very flirtatious subject lines. And, and they were recent as well too. So, I got let myself like have the, the better of me and I, I looked through some of them and I saw that they had actually many of these girls that he was emailing. He was emailing back in September when when I, my you know, I was found I was pregnant and everything. And he was still emailing a bunch of these girls. And then I also saw more escort photos, like all these um, photos attached to the emails, just naked pictures and stuff of these women. And so you're talking like, I'm not joking, like a, at least 20. And I lost it. And I, I closed the computer down and sat with my son. And this was like at 10 o'clock at night. You know, everyone else is kind of sleeping and, and hanging out and stuff. And he came in the room and I said, like, 
who's this girl? Who's this girl? I said, you, you said you were done with all these women. And I thought it was just like an impulsive mistake on your part because of all the changes that you and I have, have experienced in such a short period of time. And this doesn't explain that you're still messaging them and still emailing them. Like what, what is going on? And so him and I got in a fight and my in-laws came in. And so it was my brother-in-law, my sister, like the whole family came in and saw me crying. And I mentioned, I said, like, you're, like I said, he's, he's been cheating on me. Like this, this is not okay. Like, I I don't know what to say or what to do. I, I have my son right here. I'm trying to get to sleep. Like I'm an overwhelming amount of emotions right now, understanding that he's cheated on me again. And so he left the room and went outside just to go into the hammock in the backyard. And his mom came to me and my sister-in-law came to me and they, they're like, all right, let's settle down. Let's, let's take a deep breath here for a minute. And I thought like maybe they would, you know, like be able to relate to me and say like, well, we're going to, we're going to talk to him. What's, why would you do that to your wife? You know, instead they sat down with me and had a huge speech about how it was because I had a baby. So I'm fat now and I can't provide him with the same amount of excitement and, and all that than what I used to. And obviously I wasn't enough for him that he couldn't maintain his focus on me and he had to give it elsewhere to whatever woman would, you know, flirt with him back. And, and I just, I just couldn't do that for him the way other women can do it for him. And now I'm a mother of two sons. They're 11 and seven years old. I can tell you from my own my own self at a standpoint, if I ever had my son get married and she came to me and told me that my son was cheating on her, my son is going to have a good old sit down with me and we're going to talk about that type of behavior you just you do not do to your spouse, whether you are a man or a woman cheating. You do not do that to your your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse. And to hear such a different perspective from my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law that I was not enough, and that is, and it was my fault that he cheated on me, really messed with me mentally. And then later, they told uh, my husband that I actually have postpartum depression and that I need to be seen a psychiatrist. So he came and told me, you just have postpartum depression. That's why you're so emotional. And I said, like, I love my baby, my attention on my baby and and his needs being fulfilled and my joy that I have with him as his mother is that that postpartum depression is totally different. I'm really upset that you are cheating on me and nobody's validating my feelings right now, you know? So you are really a part here of this toxic you walked into a a really toxic family here and it it, this is ugly you know in a way he is yes he's uh, doing things that are wrong toward you but in this family scenario his cog the cog that he is uh, it, it just seems like as well he doesn't 
as you said earlier, the others are in charge here. He's just going along with whatever is being done. I mean, he's being protected in every way, no matter what he's going to do. But those, the mom right now is the primary abuser in a way. Would you, would that be fair? Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the father and the mother for different reasons, emotional for the mom and physical for the dad. For sure, and it's to make no excuse for your ex partner. He's going to. We're going to find out a lot more. But uh, this is where this person came from, and instead of uh, saying no to everything, he's part of this, and um, you just happen to be uh, brought into the spider web. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, uh, you know, what happened, uh, I guess, from, you know, everything gets swept underneath a rug with the the cheating. Everything's kind of always justified. The family is not supportive in any sort of way. And you are obviously probably believing all of the lies you're told about yourself. Crazy, mm-hmm. crazy making stuff starts happening. I guess things get smoothed over here. And now, uh, how do things continue? Well, we ended up um, abruptly moving, and it, it came about pretty quickly because we signed on a year lease to rent this house. And we lived in this tiny little house for about six months, and then we moved again across the state because my um, ex and I both got decent jobs. So we were closer, actually, to my family at the time. And I, my son was about two and it it seemed like, you know, you're right. Like everything just kind of smoothed over and it was like things just like life just kind of continued. And, um, one day when I was home from work, I got a call from my previous landlords from the first house that we had rented. And they said, did you not know that you owe us like $6,000 in rent plus legal fees? And I was like, no, I, my, my husband didn't tell me. And she goes, oh, honey, yeah, like, you went to court and everything for your eviction. And he just told us that you were sick, and that's why you couldn't attend court. So I couldn't, I, I was, like, blown away. Like, things seemed to be going pretty smoothly. Like, we were on the opposite side of the state, so I didn't see his family very much. That toxicity was not as bad. And I thought our marriage was going all right, you know, and our son was thriving, and Suddenly, I find that we actually were evicted from our first home when my son was just uh, six months old, and that's why we had to move. There was no job offer that was better than what he had, so we had we had to move. It was it was this reason, and that we owed money, and so I, I apologized to them. I said I, I honestly had no understanding idea about any of this. And I worked out a payment plan for them, just like whatever, whatever I can do. This is my, my money that I have in my budget. Can I give you this every month for the next so many months? And they arranged it and they said, we really appreciate you helping us with this and actually telling us because we've been trying to get a hold of your husband and he hasn't returned our calls. So um, we're going to try and get this off of your, this eviction off your public record for you in whatever way we can, because we appreciate you actually tending to this. And we're so sorry, you know. Because they, they knew we had a baby and everything. 
So I confronted my, my husband about it and he said, well, we, I got behind in bills and I just didn't want you to worry. And so I took it upon myself to take care of it. And I just haven't. And I don't have the money right now because I'm making all these other payments. But if you can help me get this paid off, you know, then we can be, you know, on our, on our way again, you know? And so I go, okay, well, you are keeping the roof over our head and all that stuff. And, and I'm earning money too. So I don't see, and I live there, you know, I don't see why I can't help get this off, but don't, don't keep secrets from me. I want to know these things. I don't want you to hide financial problems from me. I want us to be a team. And so the way that he handled it then was more compassionate. And that put, let me put my guard down of like, oh, he just didn't want me to worry about the finances. And then later, um, it almost kind of came all at once. I have no idea why the timeline is so close, but it only was like a month later. And I started getting collection calls looking for me. And I had a credit card when I was 18. I was That was something positive I was brought up in my family is like, have a good credit history, take care of, you know, your cards and all that. And I had a really high credit score when I met my husband. And so because we were married, he had actually opened up credit cards in my name using my social security number. And because we were married, he said it was all right to open this card in my name. And he ended up maxing out all of these credit cards in my name. And that's why I was getting the collector's calls. And I, I didn't know how to handle that because I couldn't, one, pay for all of these, these thousands and thousands of dollars in credit card debt. As well as, like, when I came to him about that, I said, why, why am I getting collection calls for this card? I never opened up this card. And he goes, yeah, like, don't you remember? You know, you, you said, why don't we get a credit card that we can both use? And I, I honestly had no collection on, recollection of any of these cards that he had. I mean, it was like three or four different credit cards. And um, he said, well, we just got behind in bills, and I didn't want you to worry about the finances. So I took it upon myself just to put our groceries and, and all that on the cards. And honestly, I, I never saw the transactions. I don't know if they were, you know, something for him for fun or what it was. I mean, we were, we were quite broke being young kids with a baby. So we, you know, I, 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 I was trying to like empathize with him and say, you know, life, life is hard being an adult. Sometimes you get behind on bills and I made more excuses for him. And I said, well, why don't we figure out how to get these paid off? And he's like, well, I just don't have the money. Cause I also owe my mom money. I owe my dad money. Um, I also owe my brother-in-law money. So it was like constantly like put on my shoulders and, and I was the one who suffered from it because he like he, he had himself as like an authorized user on him, but his credit wasn't plummeting more. I mean, his credit was low anyways because of his past business, like I mentioned to you from, you know, years ago, but he had tanked my credit down about 300 points that if I wanted to separate from him and leave him, I couldn't get an apartment, not only because I was like a mom of a young kid and my job wasn't, he, he didn't want me to work anyways, but I still work um, a part-time job with the baby. And I couldn't afford that anyways. But on top of that, um, my credit score was so bad. And then with the eviction notice on top of it, I never could have gotten like even an apartment for me and my son if I chose to leave. So that was like, another way of being trapped that 
he kind of put it all on me to pay all these credit card bills, you know, on top of the eviction uh, payments. So after that happened, how did things get smoothed over again? Um, a lot of I'm sorry. I was just trying to keep us going. Will you forgive me? Roses, a letter, love bombing. Um, and I forgave him again. And then it was like he got heavily involved in a lot of hobbies at that point. So at that time, I was looking with my son, like my son and I worked together in a kid's area. So we worked full time. It was great. And I realized that I, like, I, I couldn't trust, the like, my husband to protect me when it came to, like, family events, birthdays, holidays, that that was always going to be an issue um, because he just wouldn't do anything. He, he just let his family say and do whatever they wanted, which made me feel vulnerable. So he would end up just going either by himself or if I was brave enough, like, okay, I don't care what they say to me or about me. I'm just going to go and I'm going to be like a good person there. Like I'm going to enjoy my time. I'm going to socialize and just, just do my best. Maybe eventually they'll like me. And so I just put my focus on just, just be your best self and hopefully they'll love you eventually and accept you and know that you're a good person, you know, <laughs> that you're worth getting to know. And I put a lot of focus into my son. And so when him and I would work together, those were like the best years of my life. Cause we worked like two years in this place together full time. And, packed lunches together and it really gave me a chance to bond closely with my son more than rather than focus on when am I going to find more women? When am I going to find more finance, financial, you know, debt that I've got to be paying off because he can't pay it. And I noticed my son was like so good with other kids and I wanted him to have another kid or have another kid to, to be with him, a brother or a sister. So I talked to my husband and I said, well, he's, he's going to be three. Like, do you want to try for another child? It would mean a lot to me because I, I love children. And that was my, my drive and passion was my, was my child. And so he's like, yeah, let's, you, we can have another kid, but I still want to do my hobbies over here. I want to collect this. I want to do that. And I said, that's fine. I love my children. So at that point when I was pregnant with my second son, um, that's really when I just, started to shift instead of focusing on how I can heal my relationship with my husband that wasn't ever going to be healed. Like it just seemed like there was more and more things like him uh, not telling me the full truth. And I cared too much that I found that the stress was just really messing with me. And then the stress of dealing with my in-laws and them not liking me that I've got one or two choices that I can pick from here is either divorce and tell him like, this is, there's no relationship here. Like I, I try to have one with you and your, your focus is on, you know, these other girls that you say are just your friends, but I'm not allowed to, to go out with you and, and be around them or, you know, or you're into this hobby now and there's this happening over here that makes me uncomfortable. I just chose to put my focus on my children at that point. And I also got into um, teaching fitness classes. Like I got my certifications in yoga. So he would end up getting into a new business that he, you know, opened up this new business over here. Then he got into this hobby over here. He was constantly bouncing to different things that he was like never home. And so the house was like, I mean, if you want to talk about a narcissist with pregnancy and children, 
I mean, it, it's so odd how that fits to the T of, of feeling how alone I felt. Like during my whole pregnancy, I had some complications with my youngest son. He wasn't there for any of it. So, and, so he's 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 married with children, mm-hmm. and he's living mm-hmm. a single person's life. Yeah. And yeah. for you, you know, focusing on the children is the easiest thing to do. It's the least painful thing to do, and it also, yeah, for you, you don't have to confront the situation. You're kind of still thinking out: what do I do? What's going on here? You know, you do have two children. This isn't an easy decision to make. You know, uh, you know, with especially with your belief system, and you know, how am I going to make ends meet? There's so many things that are going on here for you to kind of just say, "I'm going to put on the the pause button. I'm not going to make any decision that might be too rash." In a sense, let's kind of feel it i am feeling alone but at the same time um you know at least in this loneliness right here i feel safe is that fair to say yeah yeah like i'm investing in my children and you know my my fitness and my work that that was kind of what kept me going and i'm not having those regular conversations with him of like hey i'm I'm really lonely in our marriage, like trying to, trying to communicate. I mean, like you, you kind of laugh because regular marriages do communicate and they go, Oh, I, I, I know this bothers you. I don't, I don't want to hurt you, you know, with what I'm doing. Let's, let's figure out a new solution. You work together as a team, you know? And instead I did everything I could to avoid like having those cries of like late night conversations of like, you're hanging out with this girl again, like, you won't even let me meet her, but you say she's just a friend. Like, like all this conflicting information that just put a strain on, on your emotional and mental health, you know, just so, control. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, what started off with infidelity, uh, et cetera, kind of in that realm and is lying and the finances, the financial abuse that is happening – does verbal abuse and emotional abuse uh, come into play ever? Uh, yes. Uh, he doesn't, like, he wasn't somebody that, like, if he hit me all the time and called me names, then I think that's more of the society's acceptance of what abuse is. But it's psychological abuse is so much deeper. And that is something he definitely played on that I see similarities in my own mother that I grew up with that, that I, you know, like you kind of start to echo that type of treatment. And some of it is where I would say it it hurt me so bad from what happened so many years ago and that it continues now. And he would say, well, that never happened or you're making this such a big deal than it actually is. Like I just talked to the girl and you make it sound as if I had this full blown affair and then I would look back at the transcripts that these girls would send me or emails and they would say, like, don't worry, I'm going to leave my wife soon, you know, and things like that, that conflicted what he was telling me. It wasn't it wasn't just that he, you know, was having like a friendship. But even then, I also couldn't accept like I wouldn't have a guy friend that my husband wouldn't be allowed to talk to or also know. But I also don't believe that a married woman should have, like, be friends with single guys or guys in, like, 
vulnerable relationships with like because that that puts a temptation or an, an issue a possible issue within a relationship it's not respecting your partner you know so i see that now but back then it was like am i really just too sensitive to what he's doing like he's just going and doing these hobbies that he enjoys and there happens to be some girls there you know why why are you so insecure and that would be start to become my inner voice of like doubting myself and you know, asking too much. And so I, that's another reason why I backed off and started to focus solely on my children or teaching my yoga classes because it brought joy and light to my life. You know, that it, that was something that was consistent and, um, it was, it was reliable and my children were my responsibility as well that I, you know, focusing on them to have a good childhood was number one to me as well. So I just, you know, at that point, I mean, you just, you have someone there, but they're not, they're not your best friend anymore. They just, it would come in waves too. He was very moody. So one day he would roll his eyes and walk away when I would exclaim to him something that, that hurt or bothered me. Like, Hey, can we talk about this? You know, this is upcoming in Christmas. What if your family says this? Like, what, what can we figure out is a game plan to work together if they, you know, snub my Christmas gift again or something like how can we talk about this so it's a better experience and there's respect and boundaries there he'd roll his eyes and just walk away so there wasn't like a whole lot of name calling at that time or him putting me in a corner like his dad did it was just like rolling his eyes and and not wanting to talk about it so you know and I didn't like that conflict so I would just back off as well and try not to have feelings and Again, his family starts to play a role and uh, they kind of enter back in the picture in a way or or maybe they're doing it throughout when when we're talking about smear campaigns. But uh, I think eventually for you as what you know, you wrote to me uh, in, in your email is that they made you or they made everyone believe that you had borderline personality disorder. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. I know he talked a lot to his family about me of like, oh, oh, she's doing this or she's saying that. And his sister, who went to psychology 101 in college, I mean, like I did too, but she took it upon herself to say, well, she has borderline personality disorder. You need to be careful because she's crazy. And so he started treating me really oddly for a week of like, as if I was like a, a, a psychiatric patient. And... I'm like, I'm not crazy. Like, why, why are you treating me this way? And he goes, well, my sister mentioned that you might, you know, cause you're, you're reacting a lot, you know, you're, you're crying out and all this. Um, my sister believes you have borderline personality disorder and we need to like figure out, you know, your behavior. And what I know now from being in therapy and research um, on this is that I was experiencing reactive abuse every time I would either get him rolling his eyes and walking away or another girl would come into the picture and I would I'd end up finding out about her because he would never be up front with any of these girls and they would either come to me or they would actually search me out and, and talk to me because he would talk to them for about a week or two and then ghost them and so they would get upset and they would look up my name you know, my last name on there and they would find me and then they would reach out to me and ask me if I was related to him in any way and then spill their story of their experience with him. So he was like, with the way that you are just, 
you you make me uncomfortable with the way that you act. You're just so dramatic and this. And my sister's right. You you have borderline personality disorder, and and I I need to handle you. You know, like you're you're not normal. And so um, that also invalidated my feelings as well. And again, I want to reflect back onto this. My own mother, when I was 16, 17 years old, um, especially around 18 too, my mom and I had a lot of conflict and my mom, and it was like mother, daughter, teenage girl stuff. And my mom would tell me that I'm a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic, even though I've never had alcohol in my life and I never touched a drug outside of, you know, seeing a medicine for a headache, you know? And so she would tell me that I'm crazy and I need to go to a mental institution. So when I was growing up as a teenager, I was always told I was crazy. I was crazy and I need to get help and all that. And then to have my husband say that his sister believes that I have a board, a personality disorder. Like that's when my self-esteem was just, I mean, this, all of this carries from childhood up into my marriage that I'm like, well, from two separate people, maybe I am crazy. Maybe there's something wrong with me and I need to get it. And my first thought is I need to get a handle on this, whether it's through medication or just therapy alone, whatever, whatever I've got to do, because I want to have normal relationships like everybody else. And instead of putting the focus on him of like these, these women and stuff, and, and this is hurting me in our marriage, what are we going to do? Instead, I told him, like, I, I took a step back and I go, maybe, Maybe I am crazy and I'm just not accepting. I'm in denial. So I went to a psychiatrist. I went to a therapist and a counselor. And I had, and I asked them, I said, um, I laid out my whole life story, you know, and, and what I've experienced. And I said, if I have some kind of like bipolar or borderline, whatever, whatever things you can see in me that I might need medication for or some therapy so I can have good relationships in my life, like, Please tell me because I'm I'm not about thinking that I'm perfect or great or anything or I'm that I'm normal. I will accept what you guys think I have. And I, I just I just want to understand myself so I can be good to other people and better my life. And so they did all these like different tests and these assessments and all that too, and they came back and they're like, You don't have anything. <laughs> they're like I said, Well what about you know, I was told that I have postpartum depression with my son and they asked me more and more questions. And even when you go to, you know, the OBGYN after having a kid, they ask you these questions and I didn't have postpartum depression. I was depressed because I was a new mom and my husband was cheating on me. <laughs> that would make any woman <laughs> struggle. And they actually told me, said, they said, um, what you're experiencing though, when you're crying out and you're saying these things and these things, you're experiencing reactive abuse. Like, do you, do you not know that you've dealt with toxicity for most of your life through your mother, through your, your dad enabling your mother, through the, this family that you're married into, as well as your husband being enabled by his family? Like, do you, do you not understand that that's the reality? Not, not that you're crazy and you need to be medicated or you need some kind of cognitive therapy to, to fix yourself so you can have good relationships with people. You're, you're a good person. You're very empathetic and, and down to earth, but if people are seeing that and taking advantage of it and, and you, you don't have, we can't diagnose you with anything. And I've, and I've went to multiple ones to, to even say out there humbly, like, if there's something wrong with me, please tell me so I can fix it. And nobody had anything for me. Like there, there was nothing. And so 
and and that was around the same time too that I started to um when they laid out when I laid out my life story to them and just let them digest it however they could and, and reflect back to me they they all told me one thing that I was dealing with a narcissist and a narcissistic family my in-laws and that was the first time too that I ever heard of narcissism you know, so and, that was. And, and did you understand exactly what they meant at that moment, or were you like, okay, but like, couldn't you didn't really fully comprehend what that meant yet because you didn't die? Did you dive down and do the research? I did. Um, okay. I'm, I'm definitely somebody that knows, wants to know the inside and out of everything. If I'm not an expert in it, I, I want to keep learning and always keep learning. So they gave me some resources after that. They said, this is what it is. This is what you're dealing with. You're, you are normal, and what you are saying is truth and reality. It's not um, this this morphed reality that you've experienced before. So why don't you read this book, and why don't you look at this, you know? And then I, I started diving into it that my, my social media was, like, filled with resources for it, YouTube channels, that sort of thing, books, podcasts, and I, I – it, I love understanding things, especially from people's psyche, the way people do things, the way that they do things, um, rather than just labeling someone as a good or bad person. You know, we all have background stories and trauma and, um, you know, different things that go with that whole nature versus nurture, you know, how we end up being the people we are. And that was just, it, it, and to this day, I still read more about it because, you know, there's, there's so many more things that you can understand and even having to co-parent with my ex now with that was with us being divorced this year um and then he actually got into another relationship only three months after he filed for after we filed for divorce oh we'll get um, there we'll get there um but before we get there so i first want to say good on you for not going to one or two but going to three different people and getting three answers and that is, you know, it's one of those things where everyone says, hey, uh, I got diagnosed with cancer. Go get a second opinion. Go get a third opinion from a doctor. But no one really says when it comes to the psychiatry field from the therapy field uh, what you went to go find out, that you went to multiple people and getting the group answer really solidifies things that you're not the one that's gone crazy here. And how important that might have played uh, in the role as far as, you know, if you only got an answer from one person, hey, maybe that one person is wrong. But you went and got it from a few people. So, uh, like, that's a great lesson for a lot of people right off the bat right there. And, you know, after that happened and now you have all of this information, were you able to go back into the situation and look at things with new glasses on? Or were you still stuck in this trauma bond and found it hard to speak up for yourself or, or I guess, be or not, uh, what's the best way to put it, or to, or were you still trying to avoid the conflict? Um, it was a, a mixed bag of emotions. Um, I, I, I completely could accept his family's um, kind of. I want to say like where they laid it out for me and said, you know, this is what you're dealing with, with this family. But I still wanted like, because my husband was like my best friend, my partner, the the father of my children. 
I, I, I hoped more that it was like, I know the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree, but it was almost like there's, there's part of me that's like, I want him to know my, I know he grew up with that kind of perspective from his family, but not that I wanted to like, um, shift him to be a true partner or something, but it was like, maybe I can get through to him. You know, like, I know we've had conflict. All it's been is conflict with his family and then conflict with other women and conflict with the financial, you know, hiding these financial things. But I want to really get to know him and I want to have a close connection, that deep connection you have with your partner. Like, you know, and we've had kids so early. Maybe we can go on more dates. Maybe that will help us deepen our bond and then he'll respect me more. So when it comes time for holidays, he'll feel more connected to me. So I know that he'll be on my side, that we can work through this together, you know, or that he knows that I'm a, I'm a team player with him, that he doesn't have to hide financial things. So, you know? so did you feel, I guess, maybe your strategy would be that if I gave him the full unconditional love and understanding of what he has to, what he does deal with and what he has to deal with, with his family and that you could tug him away from them. And then if you're able to remove him from the family and separate them, that he himself might get better. Um, not really to, to keep him from his family, but that he could have like my perspective you know, when you've grown up with one way for so long that you think it's normal, mm -hmm. that I just wanted him to, like, if we would go to picnics or birthdays or holidays, that rather than him just look, roll his eyes and walk away when his sisters, like, got me in a corner yelling at me about something or you're saying, you know, they're all talking about me in the kitchen and I come in the room and I'm disrespected. Like, if, if I could, like, show him, like, because it's only been, like, uphill battles since we got married, it was, it was very quick to move in with his family, to deal with his family, to financial issues. We couldn't pay our bills, having kids, like everything moved so fast. Like I like explained in that whole timeline that my perspective of it was like, wow, we haven't actually had a chance to be us and be a team and like feed off of each other and that sort of thing. So, and then I've spent these last so many years, like, him focusing, he he was kind of living whatever life he wanted. He was gone for weekends at a time, doing his own thing. And then a holiday would roll around, and we haven't talked about how we're going to approach, like, his family, if they do this and this. You know, can can we have a, a safe word, you know, of like, hey, like, if, if someone's being extremely disrespectful, that it's too much, that I can say something, and we can go home, you know, take it slow. I just wanted a, a teammate. I wanted a partner. And so, and, and we spent so much of our, of our marriage, like surviving. So my, my approach was more of like, I wonder if I can get my, that partner back. The one that I went on dates with and we were just crazy about each other, you know, and see if that ignites, you know, us back to being a, a team again. So, you know, all of this is going on where you're now back in, in, in this mode of hope, hoping for change. Mm -hmm. And uh, how far into the relationship are you at this point? Is it now, you know, your, has your second child been born? Uh, where, how far into it are you? And then I guess, um, when it, what's the beginning of the end? When do things start to really unravel? Uh, this was about um, 
four or five years into our marriage. And okay. things kind of settled down because we weren't going to have any more kids for a long while. We were in one place saving for a house. I mean, we weren't going anywhere for a while, so that was like, okay, there's hope here. Let's let's backtrack a little bit. So you're, you're you know you're six years in here, and now we have six years left. I assume it's more of the same that's going on within the relationship. There's cheating. There's covering up. There's financial issues covering it up. You're being you know devalued in in, in ways as well, and then. Uh, how, when does the beginning of the end kind of crop up as far as, uh, you've had enough of all of this? Um, that's moving into, um, like we had, I want to say like three years of good. I mean, we were, we were doing more things as a family. He wasn't off doing his own thing as much. And I feel, I mean, it's a little blurry for me in my memory, but that was, I want to say we had three really good years of like that I felt like we were, and it maybe was my illusion, to be honest, but during that time, I didn't end up finding any other women. We had, um, I had no more issues with finances. I ended up paying off all that stuff. That was like my big job was to get that paid off. My credit was growing. His credit was growing. We bought a house. Um, and this was uh, eight years, eight years, eight or nine years into our marriage. And we got, bought our first house. And he started like getting back into what he like more, more and more hobbies and opened up another business and was gone a lot again. And it started to pick up a lot more than it ever had been. So we had like three or four years of, I want to say like marital family bliss. Like we went on vacations and all that. And then suddenly he wanted to go back to doing more hobbies again and not coming home till late. He started drinking more and um, at that point I was like, well, you know what? He's got like all these, friends that are girls that are single or having struggling relationships that he's just going to, he's helping them through their difficult times. According to him, like, Oh, I don't find her pretty, but she's going through a difficult time. That's why I hearted her photo and why I've been talking to her. You know, I'm just hoping her. And so I started saying, well, you know what, then I'm going to start getting out there more too. I'm home all the time. And I do love teaching classes now and then to get, you know, doing my own hobby, but I'm going to start making more friends too. And so I had friends that were married and I was friends with the husbands and, and the kids and all that stuff. And when I got out a little bit more, I found like a couple guy friends that were in relationships and they weren't looking for a girl or anything like that. But I was like, well, I'm going to start getting out more because I'm home all the time. Or I'm teaching classes solely to women because he would be upset with me if I dressed up nice. Like, where are you going? Are you trying to impress the guy? So um, that's something that I wanted to mention, too, throughout our marriage. It was always like, well, you look a little too nice today, you know, and you're trying to impress the guy. And I, I didn't I, I couldn't see anyone more important than my husband. I just I just didn't have any desire at all. For any of that so I started to I found myself dressing down and not wearing as much makeup and trying to make myself look ugly almost like unattractive um aside from like being into fitness where I was in shape I just didn't want to I didn't want to be too obvious that he would accuse me of cheating so the accusations started coming around again and he's like well who's this guy and I said oh that's my friend's husband or this is somebody that I'm actually networking with for my personal training business 
um, if you want to meet, you know, meet him and stuff, but I would end up like over explaining myself of who these people were. And that led to more and more fights. And so it got to a point like, he, like it's hard again, it's, I'm trying to explain this clearly that he would go from like extremely loving and, Oh, I picked you flowers. Like I'm um, from the store on my way home. I thought of you to, you know, being almost heartless in our fight, like completely non-human when it comes to empathy of my cries out for like, who's this girl? You know, I'm, I'm worried about this is going to be another Candace or another Heather or, or whoever. And, or he would go and accuse me of cheating or something, or like um, he, he ended up GPS tracking my vehicle and I didn't know that I was being GPS tracked. It wasn't some equal thing. And he said, well, who are you having sex with in a parking ride um, for 10 minutes? And I said, oh, like, I, I, I was getting in back into the gym again. And when I left the gym, I wanted, I was like, I'm feeling good. Like, I'm starting to, to take care of myself again after having kids. I want to, like, you know, I was going swimming um, at the gym, like, three times a week. And so I was, like, feeling extra good that day. So I sat in a parking ride across the street from a coffee house until the coffee house was open. And it was like, cause it was like six fifty in the morning. So I sat in the park and ride under a streetlight for 10 minutes. So it was like kind of safe there. And I brought us home coffee to start the day off. Right. Cause I was feeling so good about myself and, and being motivated. And his first thing was like, who are you having sex with in a park and ride? And I was like, no one, I, I was waiting for us to get coffee. And then I found out that he was GPS tracking me, but I wasn't allowed to have locations on for him. And that, like brought down it was kind of like a, a, a re-up of of our fights before of like no trust and you know what you're doing is hurting me it's, it's not equal um and then I found out too when I was mentioning to you that I was you know going to all these different like psychiatrists and therapists and counselors they have you do these little worksheets and papers and I found out that he had was going through all of my papers when I was at work, all my private counseling sessions and, and psychiatric papers and all that stuff, too. And he says, uh, who's this guy? And it was an acronym because uh, when I was in therapy, um, they were talking to me about using this acronym as a source of like anxiety therapy to remember. And he thought it was like a guy's initials. And I said, no, that, like, that, that was about my counseling. But, but, but why are you going through my stuff when I'm at work? Like, I mean, everything, like, not just my papers, but was going through my nail polish in the bathroom, through my, my underwear drawer, my dresser. Like, he, he helped himself to everything when I wasn't there. So it was like a wave of all these things that started happening um, all at once. So there was like three or four years of like where I didn't think from what I can remember anything really that came up at all. And it was like, was I want to say, quote unquote, good. Um, but it, that, that was the, it was like a wave of all this stuff, the going through my stuff, the accusations of cheating um, that I'm looking too nice. Am I going swimming because I'm impressing some guy? Um just the GPS tracking me, but I wasn't allowed to have shared location with him. Um, and then he would be gone for like weekends at a time and say he's going to do one of his hobby tournaments or something like that. But I, 
I never knew exactly if he actually did or not. So that created more distrust as well. So uh, what is, I guess, the beginning of the end where, you know, the, the first straw happened and things would unravel from there? Uh, after one of our bigger fights about all this that I explained a minute ago, lasts until 3 a.m. in the morning, and we had work the next day, and I said, this has got to stop. Like, we have to get a divorce or separation for a while or something because we're not right, and we have two kids, and we're not surviving. So we decided to start the divorce process at that point. This was uh, 10 years into our marriage, and um, he added on all these other girls, like, immediately on his Facebook. So I defriend him because I didn't want to see it. And so I was like, well, he's gone for weekends at a time, and you know, and or all over, you know, late into the night until two or three in the morning, I'm going to start going out as well and just be single because he's thinking he's single. I'm going to pretend to be single too. And so at that point, um, I reconnected with some high school friends. Um, I had quite a few guy friends that were, I was in high school with that were always platonic. They were never any at any point of relationship. And one of the guys I knew from high school and actually worked with at a gym uh, back when I was 18, he reached out to me and he said, hey, I noticed that your husband's not on your Facebook anymore. And I wanted to know if, if things were okay. And I said, well, you know, I'm going through a divorce actually and starting the divorce process. And he was like, well, I just went through a divorce. Do you want to get coffee sometime? And so he kind of acted as like a friend, you know, that cared, but because I hadn't dated before my ex and I was in a very long-term marriage um, over a decade at that point, I hadn't been in the dating world in forever. And when I was, it was a short period of time. So you ask me now, and this was like four years ago, um, but if you ask me now, I'd be like, be careful because a lot of guys, when they see a girl out of a relationship, and then I'm sure it's the same for girls too, you know, seeing the guy that just gets out of a relationship, it's like, maybe they have ulterior motives, <laughs> who knows? But to, to shorten the story, um, he actually first initially asked me if I wanted to date him. He wanted, he was interested in me and wanted to date. And I said, no, I would rather like, you've always been a good friend. And so he kind of took it rough, but then one night um, we went out, you know, just for a drink. He's like, you seem stressed. Let's just be good friends. And I've had a rough day, too. He ended up uh, drugging me, and I was raped. And I woke up um, naked on the floor in a hotel room and had no recollection of what happened the night before. And he wasn't there. And I uh, went to work because I was scheduled to go into work. And realized that I was raped and I started really getting up, like, just beyond myself. And the girls I worked with told me to go get a rape kit done. Like, just stand up for yourself and just get it done. You don't have to prosecute him. Just get it done. So so I went through the whole process of getting a rape kit done, talking to a detective and everything, and had to deal with that trauma. So I'm dealing with the trauma of getting a divorce as well as now a trauma of a rape. So... A couple months go by. I did tell my ex when I when I got back to the house that I was raped. I broke down crying, and he hugged me, 
and he's like, I, I'll get you some lunch. Let's, let's get you, let's get you okay. And he genuinely, I think, scared. Um, a couple months went by though. And we had one night we were talking and he's like, I can't live without you. He's like, I've, I've been out there and the girls are great and all that, but they're not you. And so I, I took it like, maybe we should stop our divorce and let's fix us. And so we stopped the divorce and went on a couple dates together, trying to reignite, you know, our marriage and everything, trying to do right by our kids too. Like if we can fix it again, Christian values, like if you can fix your marriage, work on your marriage and do so. And a couple months were, were pretty good, except I had uh, PTSD from my rape where I would wake up in a cold sweat um, after having a nightmare. And it was kind of like a, a rememory of what I went through. And it was like, he was trying to talk to me about it and say like, well, how did this actually happen? You know? And I felt bad because I was like, I can't remember all the details. And he goes, well, what about this time? And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't line up. Does it? Um, like, I don't think he, he was trying to threaten something then, you know, and throughout this time, um, my friend actually became, I'm going to say my friend, I don't think that would be a friendly thing to do, but he actually became very threatening when he knew that I went back to my ex. And he said, you will be the mother of my children. You will be married to me. You know, I'm going to make your life a living hell until you leave him. So I actually had to call my work because he would park himself outside my work and he, he was stalking me and wouldn't leave me alone. And he was actually threatening to, to kill himself. And I, you know, to ask him if he was like serious because I was going to call 911 if he was, but he pulled like all the stops from like, I can't live without you. And I'm going to kill myself if you don't be with me. And then he would immediately change to like this evil, evil, threatening person that he's threatening to become violent with me if I don't leave my ex-husband or my soon-to-be ex-husband for him. And so I dealt with that, which is emotionally traumatic as it is in itself um but then on top of that with my ex-husband um with us trying to work on our marriage he's like well i'm gonna do whatever i have to do to protect you and he ended up though when when he was um the friend tried to reach out to my husband he actually thanked my rapist and like just let him just say whatever and do whatever and didn't didn't interfere is, is like he just didn't inter interfere with anything and i ended up um telling him like I i'm so sorry like he was my friend and i didn't mean for him to be this way like cause us trouble or anything i'm so sorry and i felt like it was all my fault you know and so he started my, my husband started um telling me that i'm damaged goods after that and that's what some of the fights at that point where that I'm damaged goods, that he doesn't want to be with damaged goods. And if he wants me to be with him, if he wants us to be together, then I need to call myself a fucking dumbass and get on my hands and knees and beg for forgiveness. And it, it just started like escalating from there, like what I could do for him to show that I was worthy enough of being with him since I'm such trash now that I've been raped. And uh, that, I don't, I don't even know how to, 
to explain that any more than just the logical side of it because emotionally, um, I don't know anyone. I'm sure there are women and men out there that have gone through similar situations, but if you go through a divorce, that's traumatic. You go through a rape, that's traumatic. You deal with verbal, physical, and sexual abuse, that's traumatic. And then on top of that, not being good enough for your spouse because you're you're trash. That's a lot to deal with. Um, and when he's saying all of these things, are you believing these things? Do you try to prove yourself to him? And if you don't, what happens after that? I I had a lot of guilt. You know, I, I feel like with this friend, I should have caught some things that didn't um, didn't sit right with me, and I should have saw them as red flags. And so when my husband, like, told me all these things, I'm like, that could have totally been prevented had I not trusted this friend. It's my fault. It's my fault. And that was just reiterated in me over and over again, not only with my self-talk that I had to go through therapy with and talk to a counselor and a therapist about, um, but then on another note, too, I didn't have a supportive husband. Like, he was nice to me for that one day when I came home and I was like, I've been raped. I, I, I don't know what happened. I'm a mess right now. I just need a hug. I, I, I just need a friend. And that was when we were separated. And he was like, well, let me get you lunch. And he was like so empathetic towards me and, and kind. And it immediately flipped um, that I, I saw like the way that he brought me down and screamed at me and, and told me what was so wrong with me. I just, I accepted it. Like this could have, could have totally been prevented had I been smarter, you know, had I, had I not trusted him. And I, and I, I mean, I think healing from a rape like that. And then on top of that, having a man that's standing outside of your, uh, your place of work and then threatening to hurt your children, um, is enough to like give you PTSD of some kind, let alone like your partner who says he's your partner and then have him say you're, you're damaged goods as well. Like, how dare you? I mean, I, I've never been suicidal at all. Um, but I, I, that was like definitely one of the lowest points in my life. And then on top of all that, because of my lack of sleep and my lack of the ability to feel peace at home, I wasn't on my game. And when I was at my work, um, I was in the closet doing some cleaning and looked up and whoever had used the ammonia before didn't screw the lid on right. And I bumped my head and had a chemical burn, like spill, like a, the ammonia spill in my eye that I've lost sight in my right eye. Um, so I had all this inflammation in both of my eyes and couldn't see very well. So I was just a mess <laughs> at that time. Um, I'm trying to laugh and be um, a little more lighthearted about it. But, oh, my gosh, like all of that hit all at the same time. After the bat. Um, he ended up meeting another, the friend ended up meeting another girl and they got married two months later. So he left out of the picture. Um, 
around this time as well. I just asked for some peace, like a, a cease, you know, type of thing, because we were fighting, my, my husband and I were fighting so much about the whole situation, like, hey, the, the timeline doesn't add up. And I'm like, I'm trying, you know, to, to get this together. And when I talked to a trauma specialist, they said, you know, a lot of the things when you experience trauma, you can't, you get so frustrated with yourself because you can't put a timeline together. And, you know, you just got to be patient with yourself. So at that point, after the threat was gone and I'm here to deal with, like, um, I was legally blind in my right eye and trying to heal from that accident at work um, at that point, then he just started focusing on his own thing again. And I focused on going to therapy and healing. Then COVID hit. So we're boosting up to co or the time around COVID. And then the focus was like survival. You know, everybody didn't know what was going on. Uh, food was very scarce in the stores than usual. And everyone was worried about getting sick and all that. So we were like, well, let's just buckle down on this lockdown and, you know, go back to like, we'll, we'll put a garden together. We'll, we'll direct this focus on the kids, play more board games. Like, let's, let's not fight. Let's, let's, we got to survive through this. And, um, and then once it started to, to taper a little bit, like everybody started to get a little more comfortable on the daily protocol with, with the whole COVID situation and everything. Um, he started telling me like a bunch of things that he, you know, wanted to do. And they would end up coming out because we were home, everyone's on lockdown. And I mentioned kind of earlier in the show here that he, his drinking kind of bothered me, you know, because he would end up, if he would be upset, he would drink. And there was a couple nights where he would talk about another girl and let it and accidentally let it slip that there was actually a girl um, who's so great and, and all that because she does this like he does. And she comes to his show all the time. And but she's but she's not a threat. She's none of that. And I'm like, that sparked my my issues from the past of like, oh, boy, it's another girl. Like, am I supposed to worry about her? And I wasn't allowed to be friends with her or come to his show when she was there like just a lot of odd things you know and he had grown very close to her because she was having issues with her relationship so he was there for her you know which was a red flag and when he would get really drunk um some nights with us being on lockdown he would drink and drink and drink and then start spilling to me like all these things that he wanted me to do sexually that would excite him and i I, I'm, I'm a very adventurous person, but I just didn't know how to handle it. And um, I didn't know how to do those things for him. And it just made me feel again like I wasn't enough. And with the way that he came off in daily life and everything else, he just seemed like a very reserved person. And when he would be drunk, he'd kind of spill more of, like, his addiction to porn, um, dirty things that he wanted me to do that would make me more exciting. Like, it was almost like he had a different side of himself that when he was sober, he didn't want to know that he shared that with me accidentally or that I, you know, could go on. Like, if he lended me his computer, that I would know that he was into that kind of stuff. It was almost like having like two separate lives, you know, two secret lives. But he 
he like when he would be sober, he would like, well, I don't want you to do those things. I don't want you to to be that way. But um, kind of like as a last hurrah, I like told him like, well, we could do these types of things if that would excite you. And like, you're so busy with this girl coming to your shows and stuff. I can be exciting. I can be cool. You know, I can I can be adventurous too. And then that whole night was a mess. But he ended up getting super super were drunk um stopped you know for a second and pulled me aside and told me like you're not the girl that I want you're not the girl you know that I thought you were and he tried to leave without me and he tried to leave drunk and that was like the official end of it all I told him I said like I can't keep doing this I've tried everything to have you you know to show you compassion that like when you would tell me all these lies you know like well you did this because of this and that and it hurt me but you did it behind my back or anything because you had good intentions like I've tried so hard to be good enough for you and there's always another woman and and I when I turned the other way and tried not to think that there was like in the end I'm only hurting myself and I said you you've gotten me on my knees like having me call myself names over and over and over again to appease you so I'm good enough for you or that I do x y and z with your family then I'll be good enough for you um that you won't accept me like I I feel terrible for what I experienced but you're like what I went through with my rape and everything I, I I I have so much guilt and you put more guilt on me like I just I just had a night where I burst out of everything of like I can't do this anymore and the fact that you even told me in a, in a drunken state but still we I think sometimes we have when we're drunk we have sober thoughts right you know like people still a lot of things because their consciousness isn't holding back that I said I've seen in, in, in transcripts and emails that I'm not the girl that you want that I'm not intelligent or beautiful or any of that compared to everybody else. And I'm, I'm so tired of, of begging for love and begging for connection from you and begging for, for, for honesty that you won't lie to me about even the littlest thing. I can't do this anymore. And during that time, um, aside from lockdown, I had been selling a lot of stuff that I didn't need anymore and trying to save money because the more and more... I was in therapy, the more my eyes opened to how I was genuinely treated. And I realized what I was dealing with was an abusive situation. And it wasn't the classic, you know, slap her and she's got bruises all over her and him screaming at me that I'm this, you know, that the cops can hear or something. That That's not always abuse. Like, that is abuse, but the way that I was treated, I looked and things lined up so much. I mean, from the examples I've given, um, that it's not healthy and it's not love. And I, I, I never would have had him beg for love for me or beg for truth from me. And that it, I realized it was a one-sided relationship that it was how much can I serve him you know how much can I make him happy and be good enough for him so he doesn't stray so I'm I'm good enough for him in all aspects and it, and I was just a losing battle and I stayed in therapy because you have those times even if you have like a logical understanding of what you went through sometimes you just lay in bed and you still think that was my fault like I didn't do enough I'm not enough 
and I caused them to cheat, you know, or I caused them to lie to me. Maybe, maybe if I would have done X, Y, and Z, maybe it would have been better. And then you have to remind yourself again, like, do you, do you do that to other people? Well, no, I don't, I don't treat other people that way. And, and did you give your all, you know, you, you ask yourself and overthink all these things. Right. So even then it's, I've, I've been, we were officially divorced June of this year and I'm still constantly learning and forgiving myself and, and, and doing things like this to share my story and bring awareness to others as well, that they, maybe they can resonate with some of it and, and realize that they're not crazy. <laughs> maybe they don't have, you know, some type of uh, thing that's, that's, keeping them from being lovable or accepted or deserving of, of truth and, and loyalty. Um, it's, it's a lot. It's a very deep, a deep uh, situation to be in. And if you have words of wisdom or advice for everyone listening, what would it be? Uh, words of advice or wisdom. Uh, keep, keep loving yourself. Uh, Keep learning. If you're in therapy, keep asking questions. I highly recommend reading anything and everything. If this, this is like people, people are looking for this podcast for a reason that they either have an inkling or they have a huge understanding from being in therapy themselves and, and understanding what they've been through. That uh, self love is is the number one thing that we need to reprogram ourselves to do if we haven't developed it already because that is an initiate red flags to your your psyche your intuition faster than anything if you if you don't show self-love for yourself where you have respect and boundaries laid out then you will accept any type of behavior from people and believe that you deserve it and that is enabling to a narcissist first and foremost (laughs) Because you're doubt, you know. So I just want to thank you for being on the show today. And you didn't do anything wrong. And you should know that and that, you know, your story today is going to help a lot of people. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening and, and your input. It's, it's, it's highly appreciated. So. Thank you. And from Neely and I, we hope you have a good night.